Good morning, everybody. I have the privilege this morning to bring the uh, Bible readings. We have three. The first one is Deuteronomy, chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine or other fermented drink or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And you do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Next reading comes from Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practised the latter without neglecting the former. The next reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 13 to 17. Don't you know that those who serve the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not very voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. Thank you. Excellent. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Etienne, and uh, yeah, welcome to you if you're here uh, or on Zoom for the first time today. Um, I just want to bring you into the picture of what we're going to do for the next few weeks, sort of preaching-wise, just so you're, you're, you're located in where we're at and where we're going. Um, we, Jeremiah, a few weeks ago, preached to us about following Jesus wholeheartedly, right? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And often... Jeremiah, Jeremiah did a great job of, of telling us 
That is the grand truth of the gospel. If we're children of God, it's about being children of God wholeheartedly. What does that boil down to often in terms of details, right? That's what I want to look at today and next week. And let's be very detailed, very practical. What does it look like in terms of time and money? <laughs> okay. So we're going to spend a bit of time on that. Money today, time next week. And then we're going to do a bit of stuff around Freedom Sunday for, for uh, justice sort of things, um, social justice. And then after that, we're going to get into the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. So please feel free to pre-read Ecclesiastes if you like. It's in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to spend about five, six weeks on that. And in between that, there's also church camp. So just if pathways where you come regularly, just want to cue you in so you know what to expect uh, as far as what we're going to do over the next number of weeks. For today, though, let's dig in straight into the questions. Let's... Let's, let's, let's be blunt as a bat, right? Two questions that I want to answer today. As a Christian, should I financially support the work of my local church? If you consider yourself path, part of Pathway, should you give money to the work of this local church? That's question one. Question two, well, if that's a yes, how much money should I give to the work of my local church? <laughs> just spelling it out in great detail, all right? Nothing generic there. But before I lob in, I just want to make a few disclaimers up front, okay? Um, I, I want to talk to you, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian or a new Christian or you're not sure why you're here today, but this is all very foreign to you, just hold on. I, I hope that I can today show you why, if you do come here every week, there's an announcement to the effect of feel free to make cash donations in the back of this building or give online, okay? Maybe you've heard that, but maybe this is all new to you and you go, why do they ask that? What is it for? Etc. Etc. Okay? want to speak to you as well, secondly, as a disclaimer, if you are a sceptic, if this is all a bit sus to you, I want to assure you that this is not part of a fundraising drive. We are not in financial strife as a church. It's not like we're not making our bottom line. In fact, we're doing quite well, right? This is about discipleship. This is about living and growing and deepening our experience and understanding of living as children of God. That's what this is about, right? I want to make a disclaimer around integrity. Yes, I'm employed by this church. No, I don't get any bonuses or windfalls or commissions. And also, I have no idea what goes on in terms of who gives what to our church. I don't have access to our bank accounts. In fact, I'm not even quite sure who we bank with. Right? <laughs> um, I sure do. <laughs> Commonwealth? Um, uh, yeah, so you should know that I don't know. <laughs> I've got no idea. Others do. Uh, according to their gifting, love and serve very uh, uh, um, generously towards pathway in this. But I don't, so, so be assured of that. Um, last couple of things, just as far as disclaimers are concerned. Um, the issue of a Christian's relationship with money and, and, and our material possessions is, is very broad. The issue of generosity doesn't just have to do with how much you give to your local church, right? 
It's much broader than that. Today, we're just zeroing in on this issue because we haven't actually done it in this detail. We've talked about money quite often in the past. Today, we're just singling out this particular aspect of how we use our money as Christians and giving to the local church, not the broader things of how you need to relate to money as a whole, right, in your life. Um, saying that outright, and then lastly, I'm going to rely a bit on some insight from an author called Rod Irvine, who wrote a book called Giving Generously, uh, in, in what I'm going to share today. Okay, so, here we go. There you have it. It's important to me that those things are out so you know uh, where this is coming from. Right. I want to do a couple of things. I'm going to take you through a brief journey through the Bible. We're going to stop off of certain points to just get some insights about what does the Bible sort of show us about giving to the work of, I'm going to say, the local church. I want to look at what the Bible says about this, and then we're going to go back to our questions. Okay, well, what are the conclusions? Should we give? Yes or no? How much should we give? What does the Bible teach us? What does it say? Come with me as we sort of whip through the Bible, brief stop-off points. The Bible is divided in two halves, right? There's, an, there's, a, there's a period after Jesus' death and resurrection and God filling those who would believe with his spirit, and before that. We'll start with before that. It's called the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the people of God, um, they were a nation called Israel, and from them come us, the church. They were told very early on in their history, this is sort of some of the things that they need to do. They need to give money, God said, by way of animals or grain or produce or whatever else, their, their agrarian sort of culture. They didn't have money and economies like we do today. They needed to give some stuff throughout their lives, periodically, for various things. Here are some things that they had to give. Um, firstly is what was called the Levitical tithe. A tithe is a gift, right? Particularly a gift to God in this context. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel, God says, as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. Israel, it's a big nation. They're divided into 12 tribes. God gives them a place to live, and 11 of these 12 tribes gets given pieces of the land where they can live, but the 12th tribe, the Levites, they get no land, but they have a very specific job. Their job is to work at the temple, the place where God's people come to worship. From them come the priests. I don't want to overdo this. They're ministry workers, pastors, right? That's sort of function. That's what they do. And people of Israel, give all your tithes. Part of what you are contributing is to pay for them so that they can live, right? That's, that's part of what your giving is going to go towards, God says to the Israelites. The second tithe, this is a very interesting one. It's, it's sort of, I'll read it. Okay, be sure to set aside a tenth, 10% of all that you produce each year. Um, and then at a set time of the year, the Israelites would go to a place God pointed out. The, the temple in Jerusalem in later years of their history was where they were to go to. And then what they needed to do there was eat that tithe and wine and olive oil and the best of their flocks, their lambs. Uh, bring it to God, come and give it, and come and eat of it. And I think what's so cool about this is God's heart for, for Sabbath, God's heart for rejoicing and resting, and, and I don't know, you know, we, we sort of, what that might look like for us if you want to draw a direct application, but, but it's a really interesting thing that God asks his Old Testament people to do with the money they give that they tithe, right? You eat of it. And then, and then thirdly, this was used 
for, for a charity tithe. Um, it came out in, in Judy's reading to us. Um, your money is to pay for the Levites, but then in verse 29 there, uh, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, those who live in your towns, who are the vulnerable, who don't have, who are poor, your tithing, your giving, God says to Israel, is supposed to look after them as well. All right? Charity, celebration, Levites. How much do they give? Well, it says a tenth. However, if you studied very carefully, Rod Irvine suggests to us, if you really were a pious Israelite who, who took it very seriously, you may have given up to 23% of your income if you really wanted to draw some direct lines. Anywhere from 10% to 23% of what an average Israelite earned, they gave. And this is what they gave it for. Okay? Come with me to the New Testament. We'll, we'll stop off with Jesus. It's very frustrating for us in the New Testament because the New Testament often is very silent on things that we, <laughs> in our, in our um, I don't know, maybe in our pride, maybe in our, uh, in our desire to want to have clear policies, we want it to be clear to say to us, should we keep doing this or not? And the New Testament doesn't tell us. <laughs> it's just not clear. It, it, it doesn't say to us that we should keep these tents going, right? Obviously, it's different for us. We earn money and salaries. Uh, so we're left with the question, does it stand or do we stop doing it? Jesus came, right? Jesus, Jesus is the dividing point. Um, does the church, the, the new Israel, the people of God, do they continue upholding these regulations of the Old Testament? And so it gets a bit confusing, right? Here are some hints we see in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. He gets stuck into them for their bad attitude towards generosity. He says, bit in bold there, you should practice things of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They're really important. But interestingly, he says, without neglecting the former. He's not saying to them, you should stop tithing. No, you keep tithing. <laughs> but you should do all these other things as well. It's very important, right? So do we take a cue from that as Jesus is pro-tithing, continuing tithing as in the Old Testament or not? Maybe, maybe not. It's certainly not the main point of that little passage, right? Um, the church... Uh, does this. Uh, I'm going to break that passage in two halves because we want to get back to it in a minute. Paul says to the New Testament Christians in the churches, um, don't you know, those who serve in the temple, eat from the temple. Right? He's saying, you, you pay preachers and pastors, essentially. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now, hold on to that because the next bit he challenges that. But for now, it seems, at least on that Verse that it's totally expected that in the church there will be people who need to be paid for ministry, right? And so there you have it. It seems in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, it was perfectly clear that the people of God should pay for ministry to look after the poor and vulnerable and celebration of Sabbath. New Testament, unclear exactly what we should do. Those are the hints that we have. Now we get back to our questions, right? As a Christian, in light of all that, should I give to the work of my local church? And if yes, how much? 
should I get? Right? Short answer to the first question is, yes. Yes, you should. I should. We should. But why is the real deep aspect of their answer. Why should I do it? If Jesus came to fulfill everything around the Old Testament, we don't circumcise kids anymore, we don't sacrifice animals anymore, because Jesus fulfilled the sacrifice and all the bloodshed, and therefore, why the giving? Didn't Jesus do all the giving that was necessary that we now are free? Free from the law, free from regulations, free from all those things. Why should I keep giving? Many Christians say. I say, no, it's not necessary. Right? Why then do we give in light of the New Testament silence? Can I do an illustration for you? Um, I, uh, uh, my my in-laws have recently moved back to Brisbane, uh, Dana's parents, and uh, they didn't sell their house in Devonport. They, um, they kept the house and it's being rented out. And recently there was a little problem. There was a leak under the sink or something like that that needed to be fixed. And, uh, and, and Dana's dad reached out to me. He said, um, hey, can I, can I go? and look into this and deal with this problem. And, you know, I kind of go, oh, man, father-in-law's, hey? <laughs> my, this is now my problem <laughs> that I need to go <laughs> in, in precious limited time to fix all this up. And I was a bit grubby and I was a little bit annoyed. And then I started reflecting. And to my utter shame, I realised just how generous that man has been to me. He gave me his daughter to begin with, although, although he, he quite often argues that's actually me being generous to him. Uh, on, on, on many occasions, he voiced it to me that way. <laughs> I bought a nice couch early in the year, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> um, He's been exceptionally generous to me, Dana said. Right? Financial, let alone. In love and fellowship and friendship. And it made me feel shameful and, 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 and thought that the issue is on my part. You know, it, it, I, In the first place, I shouldn't do a tra transactional thing here. I shouldn't do this for him because he did a lot for me. I should do it because of my purity of my love and care. But even if I was to take this down a transactional approach, still, he's miles ahead of me in terms of how good he's been to me. And, and, and my dear friends, can I suggest to you that when we come to the issue of giving to, to God and the people of God and the work of God, this is the line that our thinking needs to go down towards. We need to understand what our Father in Heaven has given to us. We need to understand that if we put ourselves in comparison to our Old Testament friends and folks of how little they were enabled to experience of the love of God, the Son given, the Spirit poured out so that you may know and live in eternal fellowship, experiencing every spiritual blessing, <laughs> that they would look to us and say, wow, do you understand the worth and the value of the incomprehensible generosity of God that he has shown to you in Christ. And if you do, there's no way that you can say that you should give less to him and his purposes and his works than they did, right? It's a matter of the heart. 
a matter of saying that I understand the worth and the value of what I have in Christ. Um, uh, Tim Keller writes this while he's a Christian author. He says, Are we more debtors to the grace of God than they, the Old Testament people, were, or less? Did Jesus tie his life and his blood to save us, or did he give it all? Tithing's a minimum standard for Christian believers. We certainly wouldn't want to be in a position of giving away less of our income than those who had so much less of an understanding and, might I add, experience of what God did to save them. John Piper's right on this. If we get the gospel, our question is never how much should I give. Our question is how much do I keep? That's the question. Right? Love so amazing, so divine, we'll sing shortly, demands my love, my soul, my all. That's why we give. That's why we give. We give because we received. Beyond measure, right? But let's say, okay, that's good, I get that. How much should I give then? Be practical here, okay? Rod Irvine suggests to us, as a guideline, we begin with 10%. Just roll as a guideline with what the Old Testament introduces us to. Don't have to, but he says it's a good guideline. Why is it a good guideline? Well, there's a good side to a guideline and a bad side to a guideline. The good side to the guideline is that my heart is so selfish, talking about myself, you can think for yourself, I'm happy to put myself out there, I am so selfish, stingy, worldly and sinful that if you say to me, Jesus is worth it, all that you have, and you owe him everything, you can never repay him without at the beginning of my journey specifying anything, I will invariably end up giving either nothing or very little. In fact, research suggests to us in the evangelical church, Rod Irvine says most people would give around 2 or 3% of their annual income. When it suits me, I want to have extra, then I'll give. Right? So it's helpful for me. It's helpful for me, for you too, I might suggest if there is a guideline. Right? Now, in the seat pockets in front of you, maybe just quickly, you'll see some of these. There's two in each. Just grab one and share it around. If you don't have enough, just look on with each other. Mark, Mark has really helpfully done this for us. I, I don't want you to look at the pie chart. We're going to look at the pie chart. That's what pathway... <laughs> Sorry, Reggie. Come to the AGM, and then we're going to look at the pie chart. Maths teachers, hey? Um, we'll look at the pie chart, and, and we, a sermon is not the time and place to talk about what Pathway spends its money on. AGM, that's what we're going to do that, and we'll look at the budget and so forth. Okay. What I want you to look at is a little table underneath it. To be more helpful than, say, 10% of my income, Mark um, broke this down for us very helpfully to say, yeah, I need to look at... What is your annual income? $10,000, 20000 50000 100 If you were to give 2% of that annual income, here's the actual dollar figures that you'd have to set aside each, each week uh, to keep giving at 2%. 5%, 10%, and 15%, and so forth. You know, sometimes this is just really helpful because this pushes me a little bit in, into accountability to have hard, practical dollar figures and values of how much should I give if, if I want to channel my giving 
my love for God in a practical, measured direction. This is what you can use. I want to put it out there as a resource to you and for your prayerful consideration, right? Very helpful. That's the, the good side of having a guideline. But there is a bad side to having a guideline too. You see, the problem with rules is that it tricks us into thinking that we're good people. It tricks us into doing box checking instead of generously loving. We do what the Pharisees did and say, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> On the table, I've done my 10%. Check quickly, get it out of the way, and now we can think about what I want to do, right? And I've fulfilled what I needed to do to be good with God. And that's the problem with the box checking God, and there's a good side. It helps us to give structure, practicality. The bad side, we need to be very careful not to be tricked into legalism, box checking. I've done my bit. It's all good. It's all fine. And that, more than anywhere, is where Paul comes through like a mighty thunderbolt in Corinthians. He says, he says to the, and this is really coming first to the ministry workers and pastors, and then I think flows from there, right? He says, it's perfectly okay because God has commanded in verse 13. Those who preach the gospel should be paid like the Levites and living from the gospel. That's, that's fine. That's how it should work. But, he says, I for myself, I'm not going to do it. I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, uh, I'm so enraptured with the gospel, with the worth and the value of Christ, that my life's ambition and aim is to preach it as much as I can, do as much for Jesus as I can, while taking as little as I possibly have to. He absolutely puts it out there. It's totally fine to take what you need to, but your posture, your attitude as a ministry worker is to do as much as you can while taking as little as you can. And I dare say, the principle needs to be the same for every Christian. Give as much as you can while keeping as little as you have to. That's the gospel attitude. It can never sit at 10%. Paul's chart is <laughs> off the chart, right? <laughs> I'm not going to stop at 10%. I'm going I'm to go on and on and on and on and on. And so don't be duped by the percentages into thinking that it's all okay. No, this is the goal. Be like Paul, right? Now let me lead to a conclusion. I just want to tie this together. How do we respond to all this? Should I give? Yes. How much should I give? The guidelines 10% but increasing. Here's how you should respond today. A few things. Firstly, you might be here and you say, I don't get any of this. This is all sus and I hate the idea of the church asking for money. Maybe you've been disappointed in the past at what you've seen the church do with money. Maybe you've been a victim to very poor teaching done by the church very often about money. And we should be very apologetic for that as Christians. Can I ask your response this morning? Do not be to look at the church. Do not look at a pastor but to look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. 
Look at the worth and the value of Jesus first. Hover there. Pray there. And, and that's true for all of us, by the way, anyway. <laughs> we'll only grow in generosity in, in, in connection to how we grow in understanding the worth and value of Jesus. Begin with Jesus, if that's you. Don't, 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 don't begin with looking at the money. Look at Jesus. Number two, you might be here, you say, look, I've begun to, I know the value of Christ. I am a Christian. But I haven't actually seen that translating into how I use my money, not in general, and certainly not in giving to the local church. Can I ask you, your response to be to just begin to pray. Would God move you to start making a commitment towards giving to your local church? Maybe it's baby steps for you. Maybe it is do Mark's chart and say, yep, eight bucks a week. That's what I want to do. Building a rhythm and a pattern that starts to give as a fixed item of who you are and what you do with your money is fantastic. Maybe it's 30 bucks a week, 70 bucks a week. Who knows? Maybe it's $231 a week. Begin something. Take a first step. Can I, can I pray and ask that you would do that? Some of you might say here, but I'm young. I don't have any money. Can I ask you to do the same? It's about the principle. It's about the principle. If you say, I earn $5,000, and look, at the moment, I really only want to do 5%, just begin that, okay? Take a step. Some of you might say, but look, I really am poor. I don't have any money. Can I talk to that? I want to be practical. On the one hand, I just want to be very clear that you need to look at Israel's history, poor peasant farmers, and time and time again, <laughs> God asked them to give. Okay? Um, not cruelly, not harshly, but as an act of faith and trust. Particularly, what you need more than money is faith and trust in God. And giving even in your hard financial circumstances to God strengthens that. It will make him your provider. You might need it more than you think, right? The beautiful story in the New Testament where the widow comes, gives her two meagre pennies. And we're told that she is so close to the heart of God because she gets God. God loves her. And it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. You can make the five bucks or the ten bucks, you give it, but you give it out of love for God, right? To go deeper with God. So on the one hand, I, I will say, still give. On the other hand, of course, if there are extreme, unusual, critical pressures bearing down on you, we must understand that already we have all things in Christ. Your giving can't add to the fullness of who you are as a child of God. A single mum can pay for her child's surgical procedure instead of tithing in that month. A senior who lives off pension can pay, well, not pay, the local church for the season they're in. Remember the Old Testament scriptures. There were people, widows, aliens and the poor who couldn't be givers in that space. They came to receive from that space and that was their life. You do that with confidence and no guilt because God is your provider. Not just through your local church. Of course, for us it's different with government provision and so forth. So on the one hand, I want to say don't give up on giving for your own sake. On the other hand, you know that you don't have to give without bearing any guilt or any shame. Because in the gospel, you are all given, right? And then lastly, as a last response, you might say, I know Jesus, and I've known him for a long time, 
and I have a lot of money. In fact, I have more than $100,000 on this chart. In fact, double that, right? I had a fantastic conversation at a conference recently with a, with a guy whose business it is to help missionaries raise funds for their missions. And one of the things he told me about the coaching that he does for the people needing to raise the funds is that the greatest joy that he gives is working with rich Christians. And making rich Christians move from being reluctant givers to cheerful givers to invested givers. I actually think it's extremely hard to be a rich Christian. This guy told me there's actually a great deal of loneliness for wealthy Christians because it's awkward. Nobody enters into this part of your life where you can openly and in great intimacy and trust talk about how is this wealth meant to deepen my love and appreciation for Jesus and invest me into the purpose of my life, right? There, nobody will talk about that with a rich Christian. It's anonymous, it's cold, it's sterile, it's risky, people feel it's dangerous, it requires great vulnerability. And how sad is that? Because Satan welcomes that. Where the giving is always anonymous and giving in a, in a, in a disconnected, cold, sterile fashion. That's not how it should be. Can I ask you, if that's you, that you would do a different response for me? I'm not asking you to give large sums of your money. I want to ask you for something different. I want to ask you if you would reach out to someone who you trust and respect to meet with you and simply say something to the lines of, I have a lot of money. But I want to become an invested giver in the kingdom of God. I want to know what I'm giving to I want to pray for the people and the purposes in which I give. I want to walk in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ in my local church. I don't want to be a distant, sterile, anonymous giver. Can we perhaps read something together and grow as disciples in this area? Can we perhaps pray together? Can we perhaps redeem this wonderful part of life and help me figure out how me or my family's money is supposed to lead me into a deeper encounter with Jesus and his people as I invest in him. You see the difference between those two things? Worlds apart. Can I ask you to respond like that? If you would feel comfortable. If you don't have somebody in your life you can talk to, I don't know, talk to me, but maybe you don't trust me either. doesn't matter. Find someone with whom you can journey through this to become an invested giver in your local church, in the kingdom more broadly. There's a powerful ministry to be had in this, and we're not really doing it, right? All right. Let me finish. Small illustration. I hear all this, and I'll be very honest. I go, I love this, but I really don't see it happening. I really don't see me giving more than 10% of everything I have. I really don't see me as a pastor being like Paul and one day going, yep, I'm going to work full-time and take no pay from the church because I'm immature. And Jesus once spoke to an equally immature person, a rich person who came to him and said, what must I do to be close to God? He said, follow all the commandments. Jesus said, That's, the guy said, yes, I do that. And Jesus said, sell your possessions. In other words, give more than your box checking 10% and come and follow me. That's what you have to do. 
If you want to go deep with me, do that. Become a generous giver. The young man turned away and he walked off. That was it. And then Jesus said these words. How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for any of us to really become generous givers? Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Picture camel, needle. It's not going to happen. And that's true. It's not going to happen for me. I'm not going to be like Paul. You and I aren't going to be generous givers. Except with man, this is impossible. But God, God can do all things. Yes, I can become more like Paul. I should become more like Paul. And you and I all should become more like Paul in our generosity. Not because we will ever earn it, but because we have a power and a promise in God to shape us and change us and make us the people who we could never be on our own. May he do that for you. May he do it for me. May he achieve and accomplish that in all of us because the gospel is in fact that good. That God would make us into people that we can never be on our own. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you that you are indeed a generous God. Thank you that our giving is always in response to the remarkable generosity of you yourself. That you have given so lavishly and so unlike us. And Father, we confess, perhaps as Christians living in a, in a, in a Western materialistic, self-centered world, that we struggle with this more than many of our brothers and sisters may. Oh, but Lord, for the glory of your name and for the increase of joy in us, would you help us? Would you transform us? Would you grow us into joyous, invested generosity? Father, I pray for those who shouldn't be giving more, that you guard them against shame and guilt. And Father, in all things, we pray again that we will increase and prosper greatly in our treasures in heaven. Jesus, whom we already have, <laughs> but perhaps all the things Jesus seeks to accomplish in us and through us. Make us want it so much and so much more than anything else that we could possibly want in this world. And thank you that you are absolutely and phenomenally worth it. In Jesus' name, and Jesus' valuable, worthy, and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you, music team.